Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network brought to you by SeatGeek. That is our presenting sponsor. The NBA is heating up, heading toward Thanksgiving week for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase on NBA tickets. You know, like Warriors at Celtics Thursday night. Use promo code BSNBA. Download the SeatGeek app or go right to SeatGeek.com. We're also brought to you by The Ringer Podcast Network. Go to the go to the ringer.com slash podcasts and you can find links to all the pods we have. We have Ringer NBA Show, Ringer NFL Show, The Watch, College Basketball Podcast, One Shining Podcast, Cousin Sal Against All Odds, Joe House, House of Carbs. Um, the list just keeps going and going and going. Larry Wilmer, Black on the Air. Go there, find the pods, and listen to the pods at, at uh, three times the speed. Go to the ringer.com as well because this week we have Superhero Week. Oh, yeah. Counted down the uh, the top 50 superhero movies of all time. I have not checked the list yet because I know it's going to hurt my feelings. Anytime the millennials make lists, I, I always end up getting offended in some way. The ringer.com, Superhero Week all week. Coming up, conversation I had with Ta-Nehisi Coates, um, one of the most important authors, I think, of this century that has emerged. We did the conversation last week when he was in Los Angeles, saved it for today, and uh, and it's really good, and it goes in a bunch of different directions. But first, Pearl Jam. Ta-Nehisi Coates in studio. We've never met until like five minutes ago. You're a sneaky tall guy. Nah, but I feel like I know you. So. <laughs> <laughs> Solid 6'4". I was surprised. Yeah. I'm adding you to the sneaky tall all-stars. You know what, though? I would um, take it down to about six feet or six one. I think unless you're athletic, anything over six feet or six one is just useless. Too many expectations? Yeah, and also you, you just bump your head a lot. It you is just, true. Yeah, you just bump your head a lot. That's it. There's no, it has no use for it. You know what I mean? So, I'm trying to think what if you don't play sports, what would be good about being six foot four? Nothing, absolutely. You stand not. out in any crowd. Yeah, you're like two, Which three I inches taller. Doing. Yeah, all of that is bad. Everything you make a target of yourself. It's just it's all bad. <laughs> Cars are bad. You have to put the cars seat back. are bad. Airplanes are bad. Airplanes are definitely bad. Airplanes are terrible. Um, I I could bear. I'm I'm like six one and three fifths. Yeah, so and I think that's about it's the like perfect height. Well, like, airplanes, yeah. it's not. Well, no, 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 yeah, not at all. Depends. Not at all. Not at all. But in general, I think about six one is ideal. Well, this is people don't know this. Your entire book is about this. It's just no, it's actually not. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, we were yeah. talking before uh, before we started taping. This is basically you picked eight Atlantic pieces from eight different years. Mm-hmm. So it's the compilation book, but it's not. Because right. you took a really interesting tack that I wish I had thought of with my Red Sox book from a million years ago of you actually wrote a new essay about the year that the piece was from. Yeah. If you had told me you were doing this, I'd have been like, oh, that'll be interesting. I don't know if that's going to work, but I actually <laughs> yeah. thought it worked. It yeah. was cool. And it, and it did, it was fascinating how this married the eight Obama years. Yeah. Yeah. In a yeah. lot of ways. Yeah. No, actually it was, I feel like, um, there has to be some amount of excitement in creating the thing. Yeah. Um, in order for it to even have a shot at success, that doesn't mean it's going to be successful, but for it to have a shot, 
you got to at least, you know, like the prerequisites to be excited about the, uh, and when I, the notion of a compilation was not exciting to me. Yeah. Um, I had, it had been asked to me by several people, why don't you put this together in a book? I'd like to see this in a book. But when I went to do it, and the notion from Randhouse was like, you'll write a short introduction and conclusion. I just was like, this is boring as hell. Like, it just, it felt It's a money boring. grab. <laughs> it, it is. It's a money grab. By the way. No, real talk. That's it's not a money a bad, grab. Not a bad thing. Yeah, but at you least talk call about it what it book. is. It's better to have money than not have money. It is better to have yeah. money than to not have money. But that's what it is. And I have never approached writing as a money grab. So True. it felt... Like, that's not actually within the spirit of, of, of what I do. But it was. I mean, I had signed a contract, and the contract was larger than anything I ever thought I would ever be capable of getting. Yeah. And the notion that you were just going to throw together, like, a bunch of stuff that you had done before, and then take that check and walk away. Yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, not out of any, you know, great, you know, respect or loyalty to Random House, which is a huge corporation, you know, part of Bertelsmann, but to the reader. You know what I mean? Like, they... You are, they are owed your excitement. Especially they, if they're paying for it. That's right. I felt the same when I, I told you how I did the Red Sox book, which is basically just chapters, but I felt like I got to have something, and I spent all this time writing footnotes for yeah, the chapters yeah. and threw myself into that. I don't know if it worked, but yeah. I felt like at least I didn't, people could have just printed out almost everything. Exactly. Was, but you see, know. And you never know if it's actually going to work, but you should feel like excited about trying to make it work. Well, the other good thing is, you know, I was looking at this stuff like how are, what's this, what's this book going to look like on a sh- on a bookshelf or yeah. whatever forty years from yeah, now? Yeah, yeah. And it's like I'm glad this book exists because yeah. it's like this was a really f- obviously amazing, fascinating, unforgettable eight years. Yes, indeed. And it's nice to just have that in a book. Yeah, books still yeah. matter. I feel like, you know, I watch with my with my kids and I get worried if that generation is going to read books like that. No, because I think books. Uh, I actually disagree. What? I think they, I think they're fine. You think they're fine? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the future. How old, are you, is how old is your kid? Uh, my kid's seventeen, um, and was just texting me yesterday about how I need to read Frankenstein. Oh, that's good. Okay, yeah. that gives me hope. Yeah, which I don't know when was this Mary Shelley seventeen, eighteen something, whenever it was published. I mean, this is years ago. And he's like, "Wow, well, you really would get into this. You should, you should read this. I think it's gonna be fine." And you know what? Like, I'm always shocked being out here. How much do people out here, at least who are in the, you know, in the business of creating? things how much they actually read and how much they take you know what i mean from the ideas of what you know is current and out there in the right. world you know um, I, w- I was driving my daughter home from soccer practice yesterday and she was telling me how they read animal farm animal farm in class mm-hmm, mm-hmm. she's in seventh grade mm-hmm. she's like did you read that and i was like i pretended i didn't remember what happened in it because i yeah. wanted to see if she yeah digested it and she laid it out and i was like okay i have hope because two days ago you were watching slime videos on youtube for three hours (laughs) maybe i'm okay yeah yeah yeah. i don't know i I do you know it is funny how some of the books that we grew up reading in class are Mm -hmm. still the same books yeah no which made me think i wonder like i'm sure you're seeing in college already your your two books are now drifting into the colleges right yeah it's wild to see because i'm a college dropout Right. So in order to anybody, I would not have read my book if it were assigned to me when I was in college. And so, it's, or you would have skimmed it and pretended you read it. Nah, not I even just, that? I just don't assign shit to me, man. I don't want to be assigned. <laughs> That's the, don't don't be telling me what I gotta read. Mm. You know what I mean? That's up for me to figure out. And that was like my mentality in college, which is all about you being assigned shit to read. You know what I mean? I don't I don't want people telling me. You know, so I would have been like, ah, I don't want any part. It of sounds this. like you like college about as much as I did. I liked all the stuff that went with college, but there I didn't like go. doing the work. There you go. There yeah. you go. I liked 
the environment. Um, I generally did not like class. Yeah. <laughs> the whole reason for me being there. Were yeah. you like a wait to the last minute to write a paper person? Yeah, or just not write the paper at all. Oh. Just don't do anything. I mean, just... um, And it was really weird because um, I wasn't like uh, the kind of kid that would like binge drink or... Like, I didn't have um, things that would have kept me, you know what I mean, uh, I guess, away. Like, I, I just... I wasn't that sort of kid. I was social enough. I wasn't anti-social. I went, you know, to parties and everything. But I wasn't the sort of kid that, you know, partied every night and so therefore, you know, did not... That wasn't me. I just, I was so happy to be out in the world. And well, it sounds I had, like you spent a lot of time in the library. I spent a ton of time I in the library. I saw that CBS Morning thing you did. That yes, actually, I that was really good. Um, yeah, I spent but a they ton were of talking about you going through the cards and I would. reading oh, like man, literally it was everything. Great. We were almost like homeschooled. Uh, I was homeschooling myself at that point, yeah. basically. But it was great. It was like, you know, I could assign myself. I could, you know, all the questions that I had about the world, I was now free to go and pursue them. And that was just. If they had given me a place to live and, you know, just said, listen, next four years, you just do what you do. <sighs> oh, my God. But that's what I tried to make it into. Yeah. You know, as much as possible. You know, there was stuff in the book that, uh, the new book, that uh, I identified with. Because I mm -hmm. thought, even though we had totally different paths and we read about different things, mm -hmm. but, like, we both hit rock bottom. Hmm. We hit a point where we were like, wow, I love writing. I guess I'm not going to get paid to do this. What was your rock bottom? My rock bottom was mid nineties. Uh -huh. It was like before I started my own uh my own sports site basically. But uh -huh. I couldn't break into the newspapers. I wanted to have a sports column. I couldn't get one. And I ended up bartending. I, I didn't write for a year. The entire basically the entire nineteen ninety six, I didn't write anything. And I was just a bartender. I was like, I guess this is what I'm gonna be. You know, people complain about like the lack of gatekeepers today. Yeah. But they forget like how hard it was to break in was way worse in the 90s. Yeah, no, it yeah. was terrible. It was it was absolutely I mean I remember it was absolutely terrible and it was not a meritocratic system in any sense at all. No, you, know? you had unions and you had if some, once somebody got the job, they kept that was, the job and, and that was there. it. They sat there, boy. We had Oof. we had in Boston we had two newspapers, we had a weekly and we had a magazine. Yeah. And that so, was it. If you didn't yeah, write for one of those four yeah. things, where was I writing? So the Phoenix. Yeah, the uh, Phoenix, Herald, Globe, Boston you Magazine. You didn't the Phoenix? I did. I yeah, had yeah, it. okay, because it seems like you would have. I did. I had a sports column there for six months, and my editor changed. New editor comes in. I don't like sports. I'm out. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was tough. But that's the thing. It's like, I think it's better now, but it's but other things are worse now. Right. I mean, you can get discovered right. faster, but right. that's also not a good thing. And that's the problem. Think if you got discovered when you were 24, would yeah, you have been no, ready? No, it would have been terrible. It would have been terrible. Yeah, exactly right. Yes. So it's, you know, it's, you know, I actually think it's a little bit from a talent-based perspective, meritocratic. Um, I think it's significantly harder to develop skills than it was in the 90s, weirdly enough, you know, um, well, you know, in your book, you were you were basically saying, <laughs> I liked how, because I feel the same way. I think most writers hate everything they wrote up until a certain point. Mm -hmm. And you were looking at these first, like, three pieces. You're like, I didn't really like this. Nah, I screwed this up. Nah. I did this wrong. And then you were like, this one, I actually, yeah. this one's all right. I actually okay. like this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm getting there. It starts to turn around a little but bit. But that, think about that. You're like 40 at that point, or 39, you're or 38, right. whatever. You're right. So those pieces actually start when I'm about 32, 33 years old. Yeah. But I've been writing since I was 21, like professionally since I was 21. So it's about 12 years of journalism. Yeah. But for that, that, my God, if I had to look at that, oof. 
I mean, we actually for a brief moment considered, okay, how far back could we go? Like, what if we went all the way back? Yeah, because you're, oh, man. Yeah, yeah, like to when I was, you know. Wouldn't I, it be recognizable? No. I've seen some of that stuff, and it just, um, I, I don't know. It's not that, I don't feel like I'm the same writer. I've seen my college stuff, and it's just like, whoa. Like, I told so it. far away. You know? Obviously, we've had a lot of people at Grantland and at The Ringer that are different age groups, but a lot of young people. Yeah. And I always tell them, you're really not going to be the writer that you think you're going to be or that you think you are right now until you're like 37, 38. That's right. That's right. And like, you know, like Rembert, for example, yeah. the, who I know you know a little bit, at, yeah. from Grayland. And when he took off for us, he was like 25. Yeah. And, you know, we would go out and be like, you're not even close to the, you got to yeah, understand, yeah, like, you're not yeah. even close to who you're going to be. Yeah, yet. it's true. You're going to be 37 and look back it's and true. be like, oh man, why did I do that? Why did yeah, I do this? Yeah. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. And I think it's, it's hard when you get a lot thrown at you as a writer in your twenties. I would have handled that poorly. I would have too. I handled that really, really poorly. I mean, I got a lot thrown at me when Between the World and Me came out and I was 39 going on 40 when that, and that was a serious adjustment. Like I could not, be the same person at all um and i i couldn't understand it for the first two months i didn't like understand what was happening or why it was happening i didn't understand why people were reacting differently and then once i figured it out having to actually make the change i mean it um you know what it, it gave me immense immense respect say somebody like kevin garnett right right you know what i mean who comes from a place where you know you don't have much money Somebody suddenly makes you a multimillionaire, right? You have to perform at this really, really high level. People are always, always looking at you. People are trying to hustle you, trying to, you know, get things out of you. And you have to somehow mind your way and mind your talents and make your way through that and not end up back where you came from, which is a thing that can happen. Yeah. You know, I, I totally could see it at that point. I understood so much, you know, just about, uh, I thought a lot about professional athletes and entertainers at, at that point. You yeah, know? musicians, I think, even have it. That's <laughs> even more dangerous. Like Kanye now, man, oh man. you think Kanye was like 60 years old. I think he's only 40. Yeah, Isn't man, he, oh didn't man. Didn't he just turn yeah, 40? He just turned, I think he just turned 40. He's had like three lives already. Yeah, I know. And I, and I used to be really, really hard on Kanye, and I understand what was going on with Kanye, and I get it now, boy. I get it now, you know, um, because if you get that level of fame and relative wealth and you don't, you don't have, I mean, it's going to be hard anyway. Yeah. But if you don't have a support system, you know, I mean, I look at LeBron. LeBron's miraculous, man. I mean, <laughs> he, he really had, is. And I don't think people like get it. Yeah. Like that he actually has handled all this, you know, in a way that he's, it doesn't mean he's perfect, but that he's not completely insane. <laughs> yeah. The, his biggest scandal was that he just did this live show where he picked another team right yes exactly yeah that's the worst thing lebron it's the worst thing did. he's ever done that's the worst thing lebron has did a dumb talk about special right right yeah. right right but they don't understand how easy it would be to do like so much you know worse thing you well know? you so in the book you were writing about when when things really started to shift for you yeah and how hard that was which yeah. i obviously identify with for different reasons but um i think two things change one is you're the same, but everybody around you changes. That's exactly it. Which I think is a really hard thing to explain to somebody. Yeah. You're the exact same person yes. you were two weeks before. Yes. And I can imagine, like, if you're some actor who's never been in anything, <sighs> and all of a sudden you're in this movie that blows up, Oof. and now everybody's kissing your ass, and right. you're PR right. people, and you're right. getting offered this, that, the other thing. Right. 
I can imagine you can see why that goes badly. Yeah, a lot of the time. Oh, totally, totally. I talked to you know um, my wife about this, and uh, you know we always joke like, had this ha- what happened to me between the world and me happened to me when I was in my twenties. I think I would have 15 kids right now <laughs> and not 15 kids. Like I'm out here trying to be that dude. Like I fall in love. Like really, right. like, I would have been like, this girl, this is the this one. Is it. This is it. I want you to have my baby. You know what I mean? Yeah. Then next year would have been another one. And then over, <laughs> like I would have been like out of my head, man. Yeah. Cause I kind of was out of my head at that point. And then you throw money on that, and like then you you know you you that kind of access you have and the ability, man, it would. And then if you're an athlete or a musician, people telling you how great you are all the time. Oh my God, yes, you're yeah, awesome. it would you're the be. Best. Yeah, no, 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 it would have been. I, I I wouldn't have won. I mean, the cool thing about it happening later was, I, I think I had a pretty firm idea who I was. Yeah, you know, and then I had to, as you said, adjust the you know folks around me and the changing, but like. My wife didn't change. My son didn't change. Yeah, your friends that you had forever my, didn't my change. My friends really, they didn't really change, actually. They yeah. didn't really change. I had, you know, a couple that did. But for the most part, it pretty much, you know, was, was the same. And so that allowed for a kind of foundation and a base to not go crazy. The other thing that changes is being the manager of yourself becomes its own time, its own job. Oh, my God. All the people that reach out, they want to do this, they want to do that, they're offering this. How about this idea? You have people in your life you haven't really heard from. Hey, man, I was wondering if... Yeah. And that that was... I, w- I was the most surprised by some of that. And that's at least... You know, I was looking... Like Zach Lowe, who worked for Grandland, mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. could tell at some point, like, this guy's going to become the best yeah. NBA writer. Yeah. And I remember talking to him about that, about your life's going to change. It's going to be, you know, enjoy this yeah. because it's going to be really hard to do this every day because you're yeah. going to have all these people emailing you, texting yeah. you. Hey man, what's up? You're going to feel like yeah. you have to get back to them. Right. They're going to want you to do this, that, the other thing. Right. And it's just going to be hard to do your job. Yeah. You got to be ready for that. Yeah. No. And, um, again, like, I guess one of the reasons why it was hard for me to process was <clears throat> I went to this thing at one point, I, you know, we had, we moved to New York. We lived in Brooklyn. We lived in this basement apartment. We were, you know, like really, really broke. And we dreamed of like buying like a house in this neighborhood, right? Yeah. <laughs> All these years later, we finally get the money together. After Between the World and me, it's like, my God, we can actually buy a house. We bought a house. And like, I remember I was on a plane and I get off the plane. I get a text from my wife and she says, this is really fucked up. And I look and the house is everywhere. The interior of the house, there are pictures of it, you know, on all kinds of sites. Somebody oh. has gone. Oh, that you bought the house. Oh. Somebody has gone into my my son's Instagram account and like looked at what he was saying. They have photoshopped me into the house. They talked to the realtor, you know, for the for the seller of the house. It was all there. And she was just like, that ain't our home anymore. <laughs> like we can't actually live there. That's not a home for us anymore and it was like damn man we got to the point where we could do this yeah but we can't do it like we can't we actually can't go back like we actually like we can't do it and if we're gonna do it it's gonna have to be in some way that we at that point you know we're clearly not familiar with yeah you know in terms of how to get it done and i uh, the hard thing the process was i knew like people did stuff like this to like say a uh, george clooney and i'm not saying it's okay but i understood like Dude, I'm a writer, man. Come on now. I write books. Yeah. I write books. I'm not, you know, out here dating supermodels. I'm not, you know, driving expensive cars. I'm on the train, you know, like anybody else is. Like, I don't, it was like, I couldn't process it. I couldn't understand why it would happen to, 
book writer. Yeah, you know, how'd you become a real celebrity? Yeah, what the hell is that? No one cares about this. I mean, I, you know, like when you're writing, the hardest thing you have to prepare yourself for is that people probably won't care. And so you got to care. Like, you got to generate that for yourself. It almost has to be a private act. You got to be like, you know, I don't care if five people read this. I'm into it, and I want it to exist in the world. And you do that, and you conquer that problem, and you say, okay, well, if this is my life. This is my life. And then what do you do when people, like, really, really start to care? Yeah. You know, and so that 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 was a, a serious adjustment. You know, but on the bright side, money, money. No, that's real. <laughs> it sucks though. to not have money. No, no, that, that's a real. Yeah. That's a very, very real thing. Like when and, you said in the book how you were in L.A. and you guys had a steak dinner and you ordered all the courses, like, yeah, 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 I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. That it's when you go from you're not sure how what's who's <laughs> the rent, steak. whatever you're paying. Can we get this? Can yeah. we get this this month? Too? Yeah, and they say, yeah, get the steak at least once. Yeah, yeah, no, we are. Uh, it does make like, it all the times you're in front of the computer all <laughs> right? those all those days. Yeah, and that was the first time we had ever looked in our account and ever like gotten a check like that, right? And uh, it's such a funny story. Well, what's what's Jesus. cool about you know you your career took off. But you were also like you were doing that blog in the Atlantic, mm-hmm. which I remember from mm-hmm. way back, mm-hmm. and you were just all the way in on it. I was. I and loved you're writing it. on the time. You had this line in the book about how you kind of worry about. You know, I agree with you about when you're writing every day like that. Yeah. It's, it on. is like boxing. You're yeah, like yeah, you're yeah, ready. Yeah, you're ready yeah, to spar yeah, yeah. with anybody. Right. That's right. And if you're not doing that every day, your chops can start slipping that's a little true. bit. That's true. I know, I know what happened with me. I know. I'm sure. I'm sure I lost something. I'm sure I lost something by backing away from that. And. um it was it was it was it was tough. It was the, tough. the problem is being able to stop and start. If you're writing every That's day, right. you can be like, "It's nine o'clock. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna bang That's out right. some words." That's right. If you don't write for a week, it's That's like, right. "Uh oh." That's right. And I do. You know, I still write pretty regularly, but it's not the same as writing those pieces and being in interaction. Um, you know, it was it was interesting because we had this me and uh, my editor Chris Jacks. We had this whole conversation about whether to talk about money in the book, like whether to be like. Yeah, you know, and whether to, and how much to actually talk about personal life changes, you know what I mean? Yeah, but uh, the, the, part of the reason you succeeded was because you stayed genuine, and it would be hard not to discuss some of that yeah, how stuff. You, how you not? I don't know how that. you. How do you not like talk about that and say this is like? But you don't want to. I, I don't know. I think like we feel like there's certain things that are indecent to speak about publicly. I agree. You know, um, but one of the big obstacles for people that want to write is lack of money. You know, I mean, that's a huge... It especially was, now. Yeah, especially now. Especially now. You know, it was always such a huge barrier of... of and, you know, I remember I wanted to get into magazines. And at that time, I don't think now, but all of the magazines I wanted to write for when I was in college and coming out of college, you had to do a free internship. In other words, you, you worked and you weren't paid. Yeah. You moved to New York and you were not. And who would have the money to move to New York and work for free? You know, but that was a thing that people did, you know what I mean? To get into Condé Nast, New York, Esquire, GQ, places like that. And it was such a barrier. You know what I mean? It was such a barrier. So to go from that and to go from struggling with it to like, and I, but I'm telling you, like in an instant, for it to like flip. Yeah. I mean, you go through some mental gymnastics, seriously. You really do. Well, I would say the other weird one is all of a sudden, Obama's reaching out to you like, hey you, why don't you come down to the yeah, White House and yeah. we'll have lunch and talk about some of the stuff because yeah. you've been mostly positive about him but you've been critical about some things yeah and he don't reach out about the pies the yeah. critical things that he well, wants that's the to thing. talk about he's like, he's like hey dude so that thing you said yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah he's yeah, ready yeah. to uh, no he wants to have a fight about it 
Yeah. He, wants to, he likes to fight about the stuff. You know, he likes to argue about it, you know. And um, Well, he, he didn't have that many people criticizing him in a genuine way. It was either people who were yeah. all in or people yeah. who were all the way out. There yeah. wasn't anybody in the middle, like, really. Yeah, no, I think in other areas there were, but I think from. Not, I mean, not in the ones yes, you were talking yes, about. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. From black writers, I mean, it was always kind of muddled. Like, are you doing this because you got something you laundering with him or some sort of thing that happened? Or are you doing this because you actually legitimately have a disagreement? And I think, I think he sensed even if he thought my beef was off that it was a sincerely held beef did you ever make him swing around to your side or anything i don't think so (laughs) i was gonna say you know the closest i got was that the conversation we had about reparations yeah where he admitted that yes there logically yes there is a case here you're not crazy for thinking there's logic yeah and then he went to a a, a case um an anti-position that was based on practicality but was not based on whether, you know, someone was owed or not. Yeah. You know, um, so that was the closest. But I don't. That sounds like so. that would have been a good podcast. Yeah, I got the tapes. We <laughs> had the tapes. Obama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we got like four hours of tapes with him. We're going to take a quick break to talk about our friends at Stamps.com. Convenient, easy, reliable, flexible. Those are my favorite words to describe Stamps.com. Avoid the post office during holiday season. Buy and print official U.S. postage with your own computer and printer. Hand your packages to your own mailman right outside your own house or your own apartment. Stamps.com, the U.S. Postal Service, right at your fingertips. Any letter, any package, any class of mail, you're in control of all of it. They will send you a digital scale that automatically calculates exact postage and helps you decide the best class of mail right now. Use my code BS for this special offer, a four-week trial plus postage plus a digital scale without long-term commitments. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage. Type in BS. That is stamps.com, enter BS, sign up today. Do it before the holidays. Trust me. What's worse than the post office during the holidays? Nothing. Stamps.com, never go to the post office again. Now that you look, I mean, I'm trying to come up with stuff to talk about that you don't always talk about because you do the interviews and it seems like they hit the same like six beats with you over and over again. Yeah. I'm sure you're bored of that at, at Yeah, my at publicist is over here shaking his head yeah, laughing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> You talked a little about Obama and the presidency and about how careful he was mm-hmm. to talk about race. Mm-hmm. The biggest disappointment I had with him was during, during the Ferguson time. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm swinging left, right, any of that stuff. Yeah, 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 I, like, yeah. I, really, I liked Reagan, even though you go back down yeah. and some of the stuff Reagan did. But mm-hmm. I still stand by the Reagan presidency mm-hmm. for the most part. God, that dude was the devil when I was a kid. No, I know. I, that's what I mean. <laughs> I didn't know any better. I was 15. It was like, this guy loves America. I'm in. Like, there was like the Hell Rocky yeah. Rocky Four era. Um, but with Obama, I, re- I really did think, I thought he came from a genuine place. Uh-huh. And I thought his family was kind of a family that we needed as a country, yeah, 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 yeah. which you've written about. It was, yeah. it was kind of the Cosby family for our generation. Right, like, right, I right. love these guys. I know this right. daughters, all that stuff. Right. But Ferguson, I felt like he sat it out. And it really bothered me. And uh-huh. I felt like we really needed him that those specific three weeks we needed something from him and it was heading near the end of his presidency and he didn't do it why do you think he didn't do it all right so i'm gonna i'm actually gonna defend obama please let's do it um we had ferguson a the first thing is um ferguson was after a series of things had happened yeah and 
I have a distinct memory of him being asked to, you know, talk, speak to this. And like there were fires in Ferguson at that point. I think like the, the, the media was doing split screens. And he had, if this was, I don't know, year six, seven, eight, I, I don't remember, repeatedly tried to explain after Trayvon Martin, for instance, like when Trayvon Martin happened and then after the verdict had happened, yeah. Skip Gates, he repeatedly tried to explain to the country what the frustrations were from African-Americans in a way that would be most palatable to a, you know the broader country that, that had elected him. And he got shit on. Yeah, and then at a certain point, it's like, listen, man, I, I've tried to tell you this like seven times. Yeah. Like, how, how, what is the, I don't have the different, I remember watching him thinking, boy, he looks tired. You know what I mean? And I would be too. Like, I don't, like, like, it's like, how many ways can I say, listen, this is a real thing that people are upset about. So that's my first defense. But the second defense is that he actually did do something. And what he did was um, he appointed an attorney general in Eric Holder who went down to Ferguson and A, investigated the actual killing and, you know, figured out that it had not happened as, you know, a lot of protesters did and was brave enough to say that, but did not stop there, actually investigated the police department and revealed that the city of Ferguson was basically running like a kleptocracy and they were using the police department to rob the community. And that mm -hmm. was the reason why this killing had turned into like this huge thing because they had this laundry list of abuses, even if that particular killing didn't happen the way they said it did. Um, there was a laundry list of things that made them so skeptical, you know, of any sort of official version of the police. I can't remember a time in my lifetime where the federal government went and investigated a police department in, 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 in that way. I'm not saying they haven't, but that just stood out to me. And it's exactly the sort of thing that would not happen today. What do you think the country needed from him spiritually from a moment like that? I mean, now we're nit nitpicking because the president we have now is <laughs> right. the opposite. He right. going and pour gasoline right, on the exactly. fire. Right, right, right. But um, I mean, maybe there's nothing he could do. When I interviewed him for GQ, I, uh -huh. I did feel like he felt like he waited a little too long to really? to get involved. I mean, what was he going to do? I don't know. I don't know what he's doing. Like, I, like some of the things. Like, president is not king. He ain't, you know, the pope. You know what? What? The basic problem was, is, and remains, um, you have a critical mass of Americans who seem intent on looking away from certain things. And he can't make people look. If Obama, who tried to explain this in a way much, much more palatable than I would explain it. Yeah. You know, in a way calculated, and I'm not, you know, I think this is the job of a president in a way calculated to, you know, get people who are not necessarily on his side, not from, you know, the experience that he's talking about, to see it. And folks can't see it. I just, I don't, I don't know, like, that, that it's up to him. Yeah, I might, I might, it almost like with an athlete where you think they should have had a 40, 10, 10. Yeah, on a night and then right. And they had a 32, 8, 8 or something. Right. But, uh, but yeah, 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 that, that, that like uh, comparison I think is exactly right. I think of it more like quarterbacks in the NFL with the notion that the quarter, like obviously the quarterback has, you know, the most power because the ball's in, in his hand, but neglecting to understand that the, the quarterback is working within a broader system. True. You know what I mean? So and, maybe the answer is nobody could have made that situation feel better. I don't think so. Because I thought... Out of anyone, it could have been him, but now you see everything that's happened since right. then. Right. I'm now I'm talking myself out of this. <laughs> I do. I'm not going to talk myself out of this though. What's that? Do you think he had a responsibility to worry about who the next generation was that came after him? And 
do you think he realized mm. that part of his legacy mm. was going to be tied to what happened to his party afterwards? Mm, that's a great question. It was almost like if Belichick left the Pats right now, yeah. but we had no draft picks left. You know what? I, I'm no a, QB, nothing. Right. Um, but to take that further, it would be like if Belichick didn't really like the dirty work of like looking at you know tape over you know other, you know the next draft class or whatever. I don't think he liked the work of politics. I I think it was like his natural instinct. I think is to um, find some sort of consensus. Yeah. Um, I don't think he liked um, like being involved with the DNC and doing all the, you know, the sort of dirty sort of things that you have to do in terms of politics. But I bet if he had to do it over again, I bet he would. I bet I he would have gotten more involved. Like, he, think about he, his he last like year. He looked like a man is happy to be out. You know? I agree with that. But think about his last year. All of it was consumed with how am I going to shape my legacy for when I leave all the media he did yeah basically all the decisions he made where I'm I now have to frame I'm leaving and here's right. how I want people to feel about my presidency right. and I think the part he didn't realize was well wait a second what if this maniac becomes president no one thought that was gonna happen he didn't see it none of them thought that was not a possibility it would be Hillary Clinton or it would be some mainstream Republican you know um the I did the unthinkable could actually happen was not, you know, on, on his, on his radar at all, you know? Yeah. Now I'm depressed. Shouldn't be depressed, man. You know, I tell people, I was, you know, I did an event here yesterday and I always tell people, it's nothing to be depressed about. Life is always a problem. It's always a problem. It's always filled with challenges. It's always filled with things that, you know, are irreconcilable in the moment that can't be, you know, resolved in the moment. That's natural for the, for the human condition, you know? I think about my kids are 12 and a half and 10. And it is the, this is the first year that I really worried about mm. the future for them. I yeah. think that's the biggest thing for me that's yeah. changed this year, other than just waking up in the morning and not knowing what was going to be on my Twitter feed. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, no, this happened? Uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're, you're out of you, point. It used to be like, you'd look at your Twitter feed, like, did any sports trades happen today? <laughs> or, you know, that was like the most, the most dangerous thing that could happen. Yeah. Something got traded. Yeah, no, it feels existential right now. Like, it feels like you got a dude who, you, I mean, you, it doesn't feel like. I mean, you got a guy who is very, very little. I mean, when you're talking about the National Intelligence Assessment Report, you know, it's all this intelligent. And folks have to, like, use pictures and graphics because he can't like read right <sighs> little bullet point memos whoa and see when i read that i think like people that actually really want to do things to the country also see that the president is not you know is not here yeah you know like it's scary it's scary to you know know that he's not on it um wow. yeah so i understand i understand and the staff is a concern too the staff is a huge concern some some unqualified peoples, some unqual- shall we say. Some unqualified peoples, yeah, yeah. Can we talk about sports because you never talk about sports? Yeah, a little bit. You know, it's not my expertise. You know, I'm a fan, so yeah, sure. NFL, NBA, yeah. I want to talk about athletes and yeah. specifically like a sport like the NBA. Right. Where you had, um, in the 70s, everybody was writing the league's too black. Mm-hmm, All the fans are mm-hmm, white. Mm-hmm. This can't work. Right. How do we how do we solve this right. problem? And then the eighties bird of magic show up. That's right. Then the nineties it swings back again. Right. And 
all of a sudden these guys make too much money. Right. So they, they how don't do you think, think they're about gangster this? rappers. How do we how do we relate to these guys? These, yeah, I'm saying yeah, these yeah. are all the media narratives. Yeah. Now these guys are gods again. Right. And they are have the most marketable guys. I would argue they're more popular than pretty much anyone in any other job. Yeah. You know what's interesting? What changed? Like, what do you think happened? I think that so I mean here it is. I'm gonna say something hopeful. I have to believe the country changed. Because they're not any less like when I think about that seventies era. Yeah. Like the league is pretty black right now. Like it, oh, yeah. it, it really is. It's no, you know, it's not like they whitewashed the league, and that's how no. it was accomplished. There's so, more foreigners. That's about it. But yeah, there's less more white guys. So. Right, right, right. Yeah. So what changed? Like you know, LeBron's a you know pretty black, and 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 a lot of them are actually politically aware. Like it's weird. Like they're politically active in a way that like I think about like in the '90s how scared. You know, uh, NBA athletes and athletes in general and how allergic they were, you know, to, to politics to this point now where these guys, you know what I mean? They, they are open with it. They'll wear their can't breathe T-shirt. Um, I don't know if the audience got matured or habituated in a way where they decided it was OK. I don't know. And this is actually I would pose this to you. Does this have anything to do with a stronger union? I mean, what what is it that, you know what I mean? Uh makes it so that you have a population of people who are actually very similar to the population of people in the 70s but they have much much more freedom and aren't regarded in the same way so i think i've thought about this a lot i think they learned from the previous generation for better or worse Mm. so this generation learned from kind of the lebron and those guys and kobe and Uh all these dudes that had figured out kind of how to handle their business right that generation dreamed of being the next magic right magic was like here's what i I don't want to just be a basketball player i want to be a businessman right there's a generation that skipped there where you had in the 90s those guys came in right out of college right i mean right right out of high school or one year out of college and they didn't have the rookie skill yet they just got crazy amounts of money right and they know what to do it was like yeah Yeah. i'm 20 years old i'm making 20 million dollars a year right and that generation kind of lost its way and the league started to crack down on it right set these guys up to succeed, not fail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That started. And now we have this generation that has learned from the LeBron generation. They're coming into the league. I look at a guy like Jason Tatum on the Celtics. Mm-hmm. He's 19, spent eight months at Duke, and the guy carries himself like he's 35 years old. Mm. I don't think that was, I don't think there were guys like that yeah. in the 70s. Yeah. So I think maybe it starts in AAU and it just yeah. pushes through. Yeah. Maybe they learn from stuff. Maybe the people they idolize are different. Right. You know, the guys in the 90s, their idols were Dr. Dre and Eazy-E and yeah, yeah. Biggie and all those guys. Right, their right, idols right. weren't basketball players. Right. The gangster rap era had, had hmm. you know, gone into the league where they, those hmm. were the guys they wanted to be. Hmm. So now I think it's like the guys they want to be are LeBron and Magic, and they make all their decisions accordingly. Or I'm overthinking it. I don't know. What do you think? Because, like, I, Porzingis I, is wired like this, too. Yeah. Where he's... Oh really? He's this guy in the the uh, seven foot three Lithuanian. On, right. I think he's Latvian on the Knicks, and uh, he just gets it. Yeah, he says all the right things. Yeah. That so you, that I, has to be learned behavior from other players. I think you probably, and this is just speculating, probably were on to something with the whole AAU piece, which is that maybe now there are institutions that begin at a very young age, for better or worse. That go all the way up to how to handle your business when you're 14. Professionalize and how, because you know, um, it's not like you know, um, I mean, here's the difference between like being an actor, right? If you once you become a star in the NBA, it's not the first time people started looking at you, you know what I mean? And say, wow, this kid is gonna do X, Y, like you're used to 
you know, that, that kind of attention in a certain way, you know. Well, think about like Twitter. So when Twitter starts, 2009, 2010, yeah. all these players have skeletons from those two years where they're right. talking about girls and right. they're ripping players, stuff like right. that. Right. The guys that are coming to the league now have no skeletons. Because they know. <laughs> yeah. Like Dennis <laughs> Smith know. had one piece about, yeah. what, was, what was Dennis Smith's tweet? Sling in the wood oh, yeah. when he was a kid? Yeah. He's like 15. He's like, there's yeah. only one thing I like to do, and it's slinging that wood. <laughs> <laughs> and then he gets drafted. Yeah. And apologize if I missed that tweet. It was something like that. And he gets drafted, and yeah. everybody throws that back in his face. And he's yeah. probably like, oh, my God, I, yeah. I was 14. I forgot yeah, I did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. these guys are just so aware not to make a mistake that yeah. maybe that makes them better. I don't do know. Do you think these guys should be able to come out of high school at this point? Do you think we should go back to that? It's kind of, it's kind of not fair for 18-year-old LeBron not to be able to make money right away. He was 35 when he came out of high school. Like, yeah. how does he not get yeah. paid? Yeah. I, My dream, if I was a sports star, my dream would be to have a committee. And they would judge. basically... Yeah, yeah, it'd be yeah. like five people would be apply. like, yeah, you apply and be like, yeah. LeBron, your, your application's right. been approved. You right. should be in the league. Right, right, right. I think we could figure out a way to get the right people in, but I don't know how, how democratic that is. So the question know? I always have is why is college, which is exploitative as hell, yes. like better? Like why is it better to send that person? It's not like college is this benevolent right. place. It's really, you know well, I mean? you're, especially you're seeing it this year. Right. Yes, you are. Yeah. Now you have these guys going for eight months. Yeah. How They're not in college. Yeah. That's was, like Durant was at Texas for eight months. He yeah. still wears a Texas Longhorn sweatshirt and cap. And it's right. like, you were there Come for eight on months. Now. Come on. He feels like he was there for four years. Right, right, but right. I don't know. They, I think for a lot of these guys, they love going. It's the first time they've been out of wherever they grew up right. in a lot of cases. And it's just like this new, they're like, oh my God, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. And they just love it. But the bottom line is eight months is eight months. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Ben Simmons was at LSU for six months. He was right. out of there in like March. right. Right, right. So I don't know. I, I would, uh, the whole college thing's so broken. Mm-hmm. The guys are getting paid anyway. Mm-hmm. I think in a lot of cases, mm-hmm. and it's illegal, but mm-hmm. then when they get caught, nobody feels that bad because mm-hmm. they were happy people got paid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's not a lot of money. Yeah, it's interesting because there's this kind of um, moral argument that is increasingly becoming divorced. Um, from the actual rule argument with yeah. people, you know, where you say, oh, we caught X, Y, and Z doing. So I just said, and it's like, come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> you who exploit these guys caught them, you know, trying to find some way to not be exploited. Yeah. You know. Um, well, it's like when they had the Adidas Louisville thing, It, as weird as this sounds, there are parallels to that with like some of this Harvey Weinstein stuff where you've mm-hmm. heard the same stories over and over yeah. again, but yeah. nobody actually wrote them. Yeah. And yeah. Louisville was always, that's an Adidas school. Right. Kids right. go there, they get Adidas. And they, this was they known. Pay the game. This is known. Oh, yeah, that's the Adidas school that the kids get. This happens and that happens. And you just kind of knew, but nobody ever wrote it. And then all of a sudden people wrote it. Now Rick Pitino doesn't have a job. And the same thing with some of the Weinstein stuff out here. You'd be like, yeah, Harvey Weinstein. I've heard this, this, yeah. this, this, but nobody yeah. wrote it. Yeah. You know, and now it's like a snowball going down the hill. I don't know where it ends. Yeah. Yeah. I saw uh, one and done a few months ago. Yeah. My and friend I, Mora did that. Oh, my God. I, I thought Calipari was just... I'm not saying he's a great guy, but I, yeah, I don't know if he's a great guy or not. But I thought... Oh, the Calipari. I thought you were talking nah. about the Ben Simmons one. Yeah, the Calipari one. Yeah, the Calipari yeah, yeah, okay. one. Was it called yeah. one and done? Do I have that wrong? It was a third No, you're right. It was. Yeah. I got mine mixed okay. up. Yep. He was so straight up about it. <laughs> yeah. Know, he was just... Listen, this is what it is. Yeah. This is what it is. And there was a kid. I can't remember the kid's name. 
But the kid uh, comes in, plays for Calipari. Calipari's like, you got to go to the pros. And he's like, I don't know. Kid goes to the pros and like within a year or two, he's diagnosed with something that ends his career. But he get he signed that first contract. Yeah, you know what I mean. And he actually, you know, was able to put himself in a different position than he would have been. And you think about that kid staying in college, right? And getting and how he never like that never would have been a thing that actually happened if he had stayed. You know, and so I always think about that with these guys. I mean, you know, how many? Um, I mean, I was watching this this year with um, my man down at the Texans quarterback. Uh, Watson. Oh, Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson. Yeah. How many, and I don't know this, but how many kids coming out of high school clearly look like, you know, hey, you might do something, and they blow out in the end college? You know what I mean? Or they blow, and I understand there's a body maturity thing that's different, you know what I mean, than, than yeah. say the NBA, but like they never actually get that shot. You know what I mean? I mean, watching at least, you know, I'm, you know, it's a horrible injury, horrific thing that happened, cost himself, you know, uh, undoubtedly, you know, uh, uh, some amount of money, but. How often in college do you never like it, like you don't even enter into the Deshaun Watson conversation because you know freak injury? Yeah, you know. So I just I worry about that, and they come from you know folks come from communities where I mean this is like you know a, this could be life changing money. Where do you know? see football going? Have you followed the CTE wow. concussion stuff? Wow, yeah, yeah. This is bad. Everything's bad. <laughs> Everything's bad, dude. This is, I mean, this is all bad. I mean, um, and I don't think, I mean, I guess maybe people are real. So when Junior Seau died, I stopped watching, actually. Really? Yeah. That was junior, it. The Junior Seau thing hit me hard. I, I came back, which I'm about to tell you how I came back. But the Junior Seau piece hit me so hard because I had, Junior Seau came into the league when I was in high school. I had watched him. Um, he played in such a way, like the, the neighborhoods I, I came from with valorized, that kind of toughness and that. You know, um, and that this dude, you know what I mean? It, it wasn't even that he had CT. It wasn't even the way he killed himself. That was depressing enough. But I can remember, and I don't know who this was on ESPN. I think I know, but I don't want to say that name. Not out of fear or anything, because I just don't want to be wrong about the memory of it. And the person said, we will never know what caused Junior Seau to do. I was like, bullshit. Yeah. Come on, man. Don't Don't lie. You know what I mean? Don't lie. We know what this is. You know what I mean? Like if you, I, I understand actually the athlete impulse that says, listen, I love this so much that if you told me it was going to take 20 years off my life, if you told me it was going to make the last X, Y, and Z years of my life, you know, not, you know, livable in a quality, I still would do it. There's something to be said for saying that when you're 21, you know yeah. what I mean? Or making that decision. But I get it. I get it. I don't believe a you know, long life, you know, like I believe how you decide to live, live your life actually has some value. And so something being that important to you, I get it. But I think like in a fair world, the deal that those folks, like we would recognize that. Uh, and we would say people that give themselves in that sort of way, the NFL would say people that give themselves in that sort of way deserve to never have to worry about anything for the rest of their lives. So he, here's the difference. Between then and now. Back then, I don't think the guys even knew they were in danger. That's right. And they're getting thrown back out. Like That's I read right. this Tony Dorsett story this week where he had this famous 99-yard touchdown run. Yeah, I remember that run. It's the Vikings. Yeah, so yeah. he said in the first half he got knocked out cold, and they put him back in, and then he had the run. Yeah. And nowadays he'd be out for three weeks. But right. they, they would just throw the guy, hey, you ready? Right. Just, That's the, right. Oh, the he cobwebs got clear He yet? got his bell rung. Yeah. He got his bell rung. That was nowadays, we know. Right. They're more so 
My question is, if somebody still wants to play football, how is that different than somebody who wants to be a boxer or an MMA person or it's not. a coal miner or any, anything that's dangerous? It's not. It's not. But I believe, in, as I would believe in any other form of work, um, that employers, you know, um, should provide for the safety of, of, of people. I agree. Um, and I believe that there are people who are not millionaires, but who are billionaires, you know, making tons of money off of these folks, you know, literally bashing their brains in. See, I'm more worried. I, I mean, not that that what you just said was a good thing, but right. I'm more worried about youth football. Yeah, but because that's, that's now here are kids that yeah. have no idea. Right, and all the studies are saying it's so much worse to have a concussion yeah. when you're like before you well, turn parents fifteen. Parents are pulling them, right? Like Pop One is already, you know, declining in terms of. It is and it isn't. It is and it isn't. Huh? Yeah, in certain in certain states, That's you could guess happen. the states. That's what's gonna happen. Texas, changed. Florida ain't gonna change. Yeah. California might not change. The South probably will not change. Parts of California, no. Yeah, it's still gonna be the same, no, and they'll true. be like, "No, we made it safer." It's true. But the bottom line is, if you have nine. Two nine-year-olds colliding at full speed, head Jesus to head. Christ. It's probably not great, but I think about it. My daughter plays soccer five times a week and does headers, and everyone, you know, it's like, is that good? Is there a header that seems like it's fine, and then two weeks later, she sees a dark patch out of her red eye? You know, my what son sports played football safe? when he was a kid. Yeah, when he was really young, actually, he played from the time he was six until he was nine. This was. Just as say like the Andre Waters stuff was coming out, yeah. And so I didn't really understand at that point. Um, and I had played, you know, at a relatively like at a you know like I played when I was like nine and ten. Yeah. So it just you know you want to play football, okay? You know this is great. You know we'll go. I love football. We'll go do this together. Um, and I think about it now, man. He actually wanted to play in high school. <laughs> he wanted. I said, come on, you can't. Like you got to think. Right. You got to think. I actually would not have banned him if he had really, 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 really wanted to play. I would have said, okay, you know, um, but we would have had a serious, serious conversation about, I get it, man, because listen, as somebody whose kid played, it's a beautiful thing, not just with your kid, but with the other families that are there, oh, yeah. you know, you're kind of united in, in a certain way. And I think in a bigger sense, football functions like that, you know, in general for the country, I mean, the years I didn't watch, I just felt like there was like a social fabric that I had had with, say, a guy who I had never met from any background in America. You yeah. understand? Like any, any background. And you could talk sports. You could talk football. I didn't come back, so I went away. I lived abroad for a year. And I came back here, and I was on tour, and I was living out of like hotels. And the only thing that was familiar to me, which I had done since I was five years old, was I could cut on a football game. Yeah. And that was what brought me back. That was actually it. It was like home. It was familiarity. It was, you know, um, something to talk about with people who I had nothing else in common with. And so what scares me now is like I'm getting this feeling day after day where I just feel when I don't watch, I didn't miss anything. And Yeah, that is... I felt that I watched everything this weekend on uh -huh, Sunday, uh -huh, whole day. Uh -huh. All I did was watch football. And uh -huh. at the end of it, I was like, I could have missed all of that. Wow. It would have been fine. Now, what's that about for you? Well, there's, there's, there's just not that many can't miss guys in the league yeah. anymore. And this Kaepernick thing is just killing it for me. It's like, well, that, I mean, this is, and I was one of the last holdouts because yeah. I was like, no, I get it. People don't like when the backup quarterback causes yeah. a big commotion. Yeah. And then guys started getting hurt and they still weren't <laughs> even bringing him in. I was like, wow, he's getting blackballed. So what was Everybody the point was where right. you thought, Oh wow! No, this is like it's clear. There's clearly something going on. It was in August when it seemed like uh, I think it was Baltimore was going to sign yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. and they kind of needed him. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen Joe Flacco lately. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah. But it made sense. And, you know, I think that the type of franchise that he would have succeeded as a backup mm-hmm. with all the commotion he was going to bring mm-hmm. was a, just a franchise that had their shit together, which right. Baltimore, I think, does. Right. And you just you're gonna get hit for two weeks. He's getting a lot of media requests, and then it's gonna go away. Yeah, it's gonna go away, right? And most franchises just aren't stable enough to even deal with that. But yeah. some are. And Baltimore and Seattle were the two that it seemed like it made sense. Yeah. And neither of them wanted them. Yeah. And then you hear these. You know, he. It's not like he was that good. I mean, he right. was somewhere between a below average starter and a way above average backup. Right. 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 But then you watch these dudes down. It's like, Oh my God, how is he not? So the person you just mentioned, the person, like a person that's in that category, that person should be working in the NFL. Like theoretically, that person always worked. 100%. That person worked. And so it's just like, well, especially like you see Houston, they're running Deshaun Watson. Come Basically on. the same offense Kaepernick's good come at. Come on. And then you see Gus Savage and it's like, I can't yeah, uh, in good conscience watch yeah, this. Was, like, come on. Like, I can't actually. I actually think. He's got, he, he legit got back black ball. But you know what? I think he won. I think people are underestimating how much he actually won. I mean, think about it. This is a guy who doesn't say anything at this point. He doesn't talk. He doesn't. He, nobody knows how to reach him. Nobody knows how to reach him. He's not on Remember the field. Remember, wrote a whole feature about him because yeah. he got in touch with him. <laughs> right, exactly. He had to like write about the people around him. Exactly. He's not on the field. He's not doing anything. But his shadow is everywhere. Yeah. Like he's haunting the league. Yeah. I mean, he just by not even, you know what I mean. Oh, and they hate him too. You're talking about 31 rich old white owners and Shad Khan, the Jacksonville guy, and these guys are like. This guy's hurt our business. I hate but him. But how? He's not even in your business now. Like, what is he? Like, what is he doing to you right now? Do you they blame him as he's like patient X for all the stuff it's that so happened. Crazy. I mean, do you know what Colin Kaepernick is doing right now? And you actually can know this if you go to his website. He's going to cities and giving away money. Right. That's what he's doing. Yeah. Like he's not like outside, you know, stadiums. You know what I mean? Like leading the picket line. He's not holding, you know, press conferences. Like this dude is not doing anything and do you yet think he's hated is wow do you think he 100 percent even wanted to come back or do you think he likes the life he has now as i think as, he did uh, i have no reason to, to believe that he didn't come back and I, I what i do think and i don't know if he reasoned this out was that if he did not come back he could or if he did not get the op like that he was going to win either way yeah either he was going to get the opportunity to play or the fact that he did not get the opportunity to play was going to be huge and was going, this is going to be remembered, man. I mean, this is Tommy Lee. This is, um, not Tommy. Tom, Tom, John Sam, Carlos yes, and thank uh, you. Tommy Smith. Tommy Smith. I mean, yeah. this is, you know, I think this is Ali in Vietnam. People are going to look back on this and be like, those guys were completely out their mind. You know, well, you the NFL know, owners are going to be the villains. This is, you know, oh, how yeah. the story is going to be told. Oh, they're already the villains. Right. You know, one of the things I like about it is that he sat the first week. Mm-hmm. And he might have even sat the second week. But it didn't start as like, I'm getting attention for right, this. Right, right. He wasn't like, hey, 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 I'm protesting. He was just like, I'm going to sit over here. And yeah. then somebody noticed, like, why'd you do that? And right. then he explained it. Right. And then it blew up. Right. I, I don't well, know. There's a crucial step in that, Bill. When somebody said, they said, that, that's disrespectful. And right. he went and talked to like a vet and said, here's a way you can protest and be respectful. Right. And then he started. Right, man. right, right. That was yeah. the nail. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? And then that somehow has become the ultimate disrespect. You know what I mean? The wow. flag is, it's one of those things, man. Mm-hmm. It's a touchstone. Yeah, Some no, people are just, I see, I I was wired like this to some degree. Like when I go to a sporting event and 
you sing the anthem in the fan stand. Yeah. yeah. If somebody doesn't take their hat off, I actually, I want to punch them. Like I don't. Wow, that much you want? No, just like what the hell, dude? Take your hat off. Like show like respect and playing the anthem. Yeah. So I get it. Wait, hold on. What does that mean to you, though? I don't know. It just is something you do. It's a it's a sign of some respect. Mm -hmm. But you're right. It did make me question like. Why did I think that? Why can't right. every person make their own decision on, right. on how they... The captain, I took all this stuff for granted with the mm. way we treat patriotism and sports mm -hmm. that the Kaepernick mm -hmm. flipped on me. Huh. The Kaepernick thing flipped on me. You yeah. Know? Yeah. It's weird, you know, because I was raised in a household where we didn't stand. Even um, for like sporting events and that stuff? Uh, I have memories of going to see the Orioles play and not standing. Boy, that was really weird. Um, and actually, I probably would stand a day. Um. And I think if I were, this is going to sound weird. I think, well, at this point, I might would have. But I think if I were in the NFL, I probably would not have been the kind of guy that would have kneeled. Um, maybe at this point, I would have, though, you know, after it became this thing. Um, but the problem is when you talk about this thing, and this is what bothered me about how this unfolded this year, is that then when Trump said this See, stuff about the owners. Now and I then it's know. like now the owners are on the sidelines. It's yeah, like, yeah, what is yeah, this yeah. becoming? This yeah. isn't what you talk Kaepernick about was inmates, doing. You know, and yeah. like you talking about folks about MAC. Now I got in there. Now this has become a thing. You know, when Jerry Jones is threatening people, telling people they can't. You know, they're dumb a bet. And see, now I got a nail. At that point, or I or go like one that step further than kneeling, or go one step further, which is really the issue. Um, that is the thing because at some point I feel like, and I want to be careful about this because I think folks are in particular positions and i don't you know want to you know be dispensing life advice for people you know in their situations you know who got to deal with their families but at some point somebody is going to say listen i ain't playing man i ain't playing and i guess in some profound way cap did that do you like i think he had to be aware what like i mean enough people probably told him listen this is going to be the consequences like you need to understand what you're risking here and what you are probably risking is the ability to play again you know yeah there was I think he was resigned at some point this season or preseason that I'm not getting signed. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, you know, if you look at when Ali, when they wouldn't let him fight for all those years, right. Ali was giving speeches in college campuses and trying to arrange fights. And right. all he was doing was trying to get his title back right. and fight for his name and all right. that. And he was obsessed with it. Right. And Kaepernick seems a little more beaten. Yeah. Which is sad. Or maybe or he maybe he's he just, won. Like maybe, or, or, or maybe, maybe he's he celebrated. Yeah, maybe I, I won. I won. You know, either you're going to let me play and I'm going to get to pursue the thing that, you know, I've been doing since I was a child, you know, or you're going to be haunted by the fact that you didn't do it. You know what I mean? Um, I'm sort of shocked that they like to me, like the long play is actually to sign him. Oh, my. Like, that's that's the smart thing. I was thing. saying this. I wrote after week four. I was like. Everyone's saying Kaepernick's a distraction. All right, yeah. you're the Cincinnati Bengals. You're 0 and 2 or 0 and 3. <laughs> this is a great distraction. Right, exactly, now, now nobody's exactly. going to be questioning whether you should exactly. lose your job as the coach. Exactly. They're just going to ask Kyle Kaepernick questions right. for three weeks. I thought he would have been an unbelievable distraction. Yeah. Arizona right, should have signed him. Yeah, you, you need it. Please yeah. distract me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> your Keep fans me are from miserable. To talk about my actual record. You oh know what I mean? What What was the most surprising athlete that ever reached out to you about a piece or your book or anything? Uh, I'm hesitant to put anybody on blast. On blast? Well, not on blast. I just I people reach out to you privately, and I don't know that they okay. want me to say you know who it is. But I, I but you've have, been surprised a few I times. Have, I have I have been surprised a few times. Yeah, and it's it's good. I mean, again, I came from a generation, and you know, I relayed this you know to you know this one guy who I I talked to quite a bit. 
um, who's a lot younger than me. And I told him, listen, man, I was like, I came up in the 90s where athletes did not engage this at all. It was the opposite. It was a complete opposite. You know, and so to see folks actually care, to see, hey, I read your book, I did X, Y, and Z. I mean, this is not private, but to see like, you know, somebody like Gabrielle Union, you know, talking about like Dwayne Wade in Between the World and me, like that was like huge. I mean, that that, that meant something. Yeah. You know, um, I can mention that because it's not like, you know, somebody reached out to yeah, me yeah, that's fair. about it. You know, that was something I saw. Take another break to talk about Husky Tools. They say in life there are no guarantees and no sure things. There might just be two exceptions one is this podcast living forever and two husky tools in 1924 husky started making things for people who make things they did it with common sense that meant adding function never frills making tools that stood the test of time 93 years later husky is still making quality crafted durable tools husky stands by their hand tools for life so they gave them a lifetime warranty like the husky ratchet or the virtually unbreakable husky flashlight that has the ability to withstand a 30-foot drop and work to in up to a one meter of water submersion. Oh, my God. Both guaranteed for a lifetime, both built, so you wouldn't need it. Now, that's a pretty sure thing. To Husky, that's common sense. Here's how you can learn more. Go to huskytools.com. Husky, common sense tools since 1924 with hand tools guaranteed for a lifetime. Found only at the Home Depot, huskytools.com. Also, since we're here in my bookies, the holidays around the corner, that means plenty of parties, gifts, and spending. Also means there's lots of football, basketball, and hockey games you can score big on every day. So here's an idea. Go to mybookie.ag. They've been in this business for years. Their reputation is rock solid. They do 50% cash bonuses, so off the bat, you're making money for doing nothing. They have the fastest payouts. Seriously, just two business days. They have in-game live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business, and an all-new mobile site that makes wagering on the go a breeze. In-game live betting. The last frontier for me, the one thing I have not done yet. It's going to happen at some point. Lay down some cash. Try to win big today. Join now, and MyBookie will match your deposit with up to a 50% bonus. So visit MyBookie.ag. Use the promo code Bill Simmons to activate the offer. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, a little more with Coates. One thing that I'm fascinated by with you is that it seems like you go on music binges as you're writing yeah, something I do. Oof. with different yeah. things. Like you had like a Marvin Gaye binge. As, yeah, 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 it's still going on. So that's what you do? You Do you fixate on one something and you're all in on that and that frames how you write it? And you, like, what, what's the reasoning behind that? Whenever I'm working on a piece, I usually actually pull together like a place playlist and i think about like i think a lot about like when i'm writing i, I the, the reporting and the facts are always there but i i really want an emotional response and i think about and music is the thing i come back to over and over again that gives me an emotional you know sort of response and um marvin k who i you know loved since i was a kid you know and my mom playing what's going on you know um I think about like his ability to use his voice on so many levels and, you know, elicit emotion, you know, like from that, you know, just his straight, you know, sort of normal voice to that kind of falsetto thing he would do um, just a virtuoso. And when I'm writing, like I, I try to bring as many tools as I possibly can. OK, so now I'm in the first person. Now I'm doing, you know, just sort of straight reportage. Maybe here's some history for you. You know, I, I try to do that same sort of thing. Mm. Um, and so. 
What's the weirdest musical binge you were on as you were writing something? Uh, probably during the arts. I got really into like, uh, boy, nobody would expect this. I got really into like alternative. Like I became a huge like yeah 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 fan. <laughs> huge. They're having a concert that was tonight, a good and band, I'm upset. Though. I'm not. Oh, the yeah yeah, yeah. Like, great. Karen O. They're performing in Brooklyn. At, yeah. At, 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 what you call it? That spot I was at tonight. Like right now. And it's I'm kind like, of the damn, great I lost band go. of that whole era. Yeah. No, I love them. I love them. You know. So I got. I, you know. I still could binge on the yeah yeah yeah. I love them. You know? Did you see the Defiant ones? I on did HBO? Not. No 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 no. I didn't. I would urge you to watch that one. Really? Okay. Yeah. All right, I got you. Just okay. not knowing you that well, but knowing okay. what seems to resonate with mm-hmm. you. Um, it's really good because it's, I've watched it, I don't know how many times. I mean, obviously I've, I've been, I've done a lot of documentaries and mm-hmm. kind of, I like the art. I like seeing mm-hmm. how different people mm-hmm. approach it. And this one, they were just, they told Alan Hughes, like, take as long as you want. Here's uh-huh. a lot of money. Uh-huh. You know, and he had this unbelievable library, but it's basically about Dre and Jimmy Ivey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, kind of how they ended up together and uh it's it's basically both of them hit rock bottom like what we we're talking about mm. and come out of it which i didn't i didn't really realize dre had a, a rock bottom i always thought his what was his, his career arc bottom? was a little easier was he it had, when he had to split from shook no when he when he did uh the chronic nobody wanted to buy it uh, he did the whole thing himself and he went to every studio okay and could because not. he's out of NWA and he's not having Yeah, and it was kind of like an Ice Cube had ascended him a little bit. Yeah. And nobody wanted to make the album. And then he played it for Jimmy. And Jimmy heard it and he was like, right. wow, the producing is amazing. He just right. loved the way it was produced. Right. And that's how they ended up together. But um, no, the hard thing for me with Dre, who I you know, think is a genius. And I think like we're facing this with all these, a lot of people that we admire these days. It's like... um I like I knew about that attack on D Bonds. I mean, that was sort of known. Yeah. You know, they cover that in the fans. documentary. I was actually oh, surprised. Oh, they oh, do. Yeah. Oh, okay. That makes oh, they me want to watch it. it now. Yo, they did. Oh, okay. I was All right, surprised. Now I'll watch it. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I know a lot of times people don't like they just sort of airbrush. They it. went in on that one. Okay, it was All not right, airbrushed. I'm definitely watching it. Then. I'll be I'll be interested to see what you think. Okay. All right. No, I'm definitely watching it. Spike did one on Jim Brown years ago, and I watched mm. it expecting him to airbrush Jim Brown. He did not. You know, he went in on Jim Brown and his thing, you know, like the woman he threw. You know, uh, uh, was it like off, it was like a, off a balcony or yeah, something? Yeah, it, it, it was horrible. Yeah, it was bad. It was yeah. bad. And he didn't let that sit. You know, he didn't. He went at it. What did you think of the OJ documentary? Incredible. I mean, I know Ezra. And um, Ezra <laughs> was trying to get, when I heard, like, he was he's like, listen, he tried. So I, he wanted me to be in it. And I was like, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to. I don't feel like this is my expertise. I'm not, I can't really talk about this. And then when he got it done, he said, listen, you really, you got to see it. You got, you have to see this. And I said, ah, okay, all right. You know, um, and he sent, he might've sent me the whole thing, but for, one, for some reason, I only had one episode. And I went right through the first episode and I was like, I don't have the rest of this. <laughs> like, I want to see all of it right now. Like, I mean, it was, dude, that, that documentary is, in, is incredible. It's incredible. I mean, it's like, like, it's one of those things where somebody is working in a form and they defy the form. Like, they do something, it feels like it's beyond what it actually is. You know, um, it has no right to be as long as it is and to hold your attention the way it is. Yeah. Like, it just, it shouldn't be possible to do that. And he did it. I think about, like, um, like there's a scene... Uh, where OJ is in uh, a Buffalo and he falls down and he gets back up and keeps going. 
And Ezra, like, got the music right. Like, when OJ would run, like, he got, like, the actual beauty of him running and somehow did not slight any, you know what I mean, any other aspect. I mean, to say, and I think this is the conclusion of the documentary, to say, yes, he probably did it, and yes, the jury got it right. Like, you know, you, like, like the case was bad. You know what I mean? And that's America. That happens in America. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, you're right. This guy did do it. We got a lot of evidence that he actually did. You know what I mean? And this guy was a horrible person, but this was a bad case. And the people that you asked to judge this case had no reason at all to trust the people bringing the case. I thought it was tremendous, man. Man, if you like moments from documentaries, the Defiant Ones, the first time they showed Tupac, wow, it's slow motion. Uh -huh. He's coming around the corner and they're playing so many tears. Wow. And it's just like 45 seconds, but it's wow. quiet first. And I'm telling wow. you, you got to see this okay, one. Okay, I got to see it. Yeah, yeah. you got to bang it, it out. Right, it's right, too long. You. Um, okay. It gets a little infomercially at times, yeah. but it has some of the best segments. So, did of you feel any the OJ doc. one was too long? I'm friends with Ezra, so however okay. I answer this, he's going to interpret it, and I'm it, I'm going to be in trouble for like six months. Okay. Um, I I always feel like documentaries can be tighter. That's my answer. Wow. Yeah. See, I, when they told me how long, like, was it six hours? Is it, is no, it was like it was like seven and a half. Okay, when they, I was like, that's ridiculous. But when I watched it, it was I didn't. There was no moment where I was like, I thought I, I was. I didn't have it. I didn't have a lapse. I didn't have a uh, moment. You true. know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't change anything about that doc. Yeah. But I was like, for, to answer that question, I'm always gonna feel like, all right, if we went back into the edit room for another three months, could we make this a tiny wow. bit better? Like, I don't know. I think you could say that about any documentary. There's always something, always something to take out. There's a, it's a lot like mm. documentaries are like writing. I think that's why yeah, I like no, them so you much. Where you'd like be that. like, yeah, sometimes yeah. you have a five thousand word piece, yeah. but it's not the right length. Yeah, and it's yeah, like, yeah. ah, what if I take out this, this, this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. And then he got like the thing for me was when he went to re-interview the cops. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I see why these people didn't convict. <laughs> you guys are horrid. Like you're horrible now. Like right now in 2015, 16, you're horrible. Yeah. Like you're just as horrible as you were then. Like, whoa. Yeah. It was, it was a confluence of events. My God. And confluence I was like, do you realize you're people? on camera? Yeah. Like, do you realize like you're talking right now? Like what you're saying? You what know? do you think? What are you writing about these next eight years? You thought about it? Uh, yeah, I thought a lot. I think a lot about it. I think, um, and I've said this before. Um, I watched. Um, you think you could do more features potentially? Would you do more profiles? Or you're now know. you have your lane. You're. Nah, no, nah, I don't have. My, I definitely don't have my lane. Um, I think, like, I think a lot about fictional storytelling because um, I watched um, mm. this really beautiful, incredible, incredible one of the best films I've ever seen. Um, film yesterday by Ava DuVernay, Middle of Nowhere, about a woman whose man is locked up in the attempt to keep the relationship together. And wow. it made, it said so many of the things that I think I try to say in my more, you know, aggressive, declarative work and said them very, very quietly, which you can do in fiction. You know, yeah. you can do, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm writing comic books now and it's a similar thing where you can, you know, the political statements can be underneath of the story. And I'm, I'm, Weirdly enough, more of a story guy than a you know an, an, an idea guy. Um, I'm forced to be that way because I write for the Atlantic, so I have to you know I'm forced to be the way where I put the idea on top. But I'm attracted, and maybe this doesn't have to be fictional, but 
I don't, you know what? In a weird way, like I'm tired of fighting with people. Like I feel like I know. I'm kind of sick of hearing myself cite the same stats about the same thing, cite the same history. Like when John Kelly had the slavery thing, you're like, all right, I'll, I'll put on the boxing that. gloves. Yeah, I know. Okay. And it was all like, right, I'll make it really you feel, was against some I'll tomato can, right? Yeah. Like it was like, fight this dude. <laughs> you know, I see it's dangerous when you're no longer challenging yourself. Yes. It's dangerous when you're putting, you know what I mean? Like you really are setting yourself up. And I feel like I am entering the, like, I'm getting close. I don't know if I'm there yet, but I'm getting close. I was call, I Wasn't call, this the plot of Rocky Three? Maybe you need a Clubber Lang. Maybe, maybe you need I a do. younger a you. Clubber Lang. Yeah, you need yeah, some, somebody a, on the way a up. Clubber Lang. Oh, yeah. who's that guy? Yeah, but it's more like, I, I, I feel like to do that as a writer, like, you need to go do something True. different. Like, you actually, you know, I talked to my, and this is scary, man. I talked to my wife yesterday after I watched Middle of Nowhere, and I said, you know what? I realized that, like, in the kind of journalism I'm doing, Boy, this is, I can't believe I'm publicly say this. I'm just not as scared as I used to be. Yeah. I used to be scared of the work. I used to be scared of, like, when I had to do the case for our race, I was scared. Can I, put, can I put this together? Can I actually, I got this picture in my head for why, how this should look. And I'm scared. Like, I'm challenged. And I don't, I, I got to tell you, I don't feel challenged in the same way. Because you know you could do it. You just got to roll your sleeves up and do that's it. That's right. That's right. That's right. John Kelly, more of a challenge. Oh, no, wait. Not a, <laughs> I could have done that. I did that at like 4 a.m. in my underwear. Yeah. Like, I really, you should look at like the timestamp on Twitter. It was ding, like ding. 5 a.m. Oh, John Kelly. All right. Yeah. It was All like, right, okay, let's go. Haymakers. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. But it's like, I shouldn't, I, I got I to get out of this because it won't end well for me. I forgot to ask you about uh, one pop culture thing about, because I saw in something you had, you talked about Rocky mm-hmm. and how that movie wasn't for you. And that was yeah. like, I really like Spike Lee's basketball book that he wrote like 20 years ago. Okay. It's called Best Seat in the House. Okay. He wrote it with Ralph Wiley. Uh-huh. Goes in a whole bunch of different directions. It's got some flaws, but he has this takedown of Hoosiers, which was my favorite movie at the wow. time that ruined the movie for me. Wow, really? I still love it. I watch it every year. I saw but he made me when think I was like, like 10. I haven't rewatched it since. Yeah, well, he's basically like Hoosiers, bunch of uh, <laughs> bunch of white kids, <laughs> right. and they play the much superior black athletic team at the end. Is but that then, what happens? But Is then the Hoosiers? team... They have the stupid coach, and they screw up, and the white team wins at the end. He's like, "Fuck that movie!" And I was like, "Oh, oh, like yeah, I don't have a movie. response." Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the same thing with Rocky. Like, yeah. Rocky, oh, he's gonna be the black champ, and yeah, then yeah, now yeah, here yeah, comes yeah, Cobra yeah. Line. Now he's a but right, 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 right. But it did seem like that was a sports movie trope for a while. And then now it's flipped. The first one's Thank a great you. movie. Rocky won. Oh, Rocky won. It's one of the all timers. Oh my god, it's a. Just a gorgeous. It's a little slow now, though. Is the only thing I would see, say. See, I like the slowness. It's it's slow. Yeah, if yeah. If you yeah. like the slowness, you brought, Rocky, <laughs> Rocky's Rocky like you. would, man. But it's like I'm not watching a fight film. Like it's, this True. guy just happens to be a fighter. But I'm actually watching a character study of this guy. Yeah. That that's what I'm doing. You know what I mean? I. I but it's know, a classic. After I saw Creed, I was like, oh. I mean, Creed was just just blew me the hell away. I mean, I just I it would not have occurred to me that that would work. And you know, it's funny. Creed has become, I, I saw Michael B. Jordan recently. We were talking about it. Mm-hmm. Creed has become the Rocky for like the under 30 generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like their sports movie. Right. Right. It's like right, the right, first right, one that right. was made for them. Right. But you see, if you're black, it's your Rocky too. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> basically. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Creed is your Rocky, you know, but I thought like he was going to go with the sort of stereotypical tropes. I thought he was going to get a kid. This kid's in the ghetto. He's fighting his way. But it was more interesting to say, no, you actually, what are you fighting for, man? 
Right. Like, what do you really, you're not one of these guys who has to do it. So what? Well, you know what else happened? They, they, they got like one of the best under 40 filmmakers on the planet. Oh no, he's, yeah. And he Ryan's actually ridiculous. crafted a movie. He did. He did. And it was a movie that also happened to be about sports. It right. wasn't a sports movie. No, that's, that's why point. it was special. And that's why that's he's not, point. he's not directing the second one. No, he's not. Yeah. I've heard. Sly Stallone supposedly is doing it, but it just makes me nervous because the reason Creed was incredible nervous, was yeah. how it was directed and acted. It makes me way nervous. Yeah. I think we're out of sports movie ideas for the most part. Until they remake Fast Break, which was the most politically incorrect sports movie. Is there a great one like before, like in that, in that same time period of Creed, is there a great one that I need to see? No. Mm-hmm. No, because now, now what's happened to some degree, I think, is documentaries have taken the corner. Right. And some things are just better as documentaries. Right, right. But right. they're That's still, they make point. boxing movies every year. They make, yeah, they every actor wants to be in a boxing movie. Yeah. So they always have those. But like, when was the last great basketball movie? How can there be all of this tension with colleges that and college sports and then not be like great movies about that every year? It just seems so right but for You know what's funny? Like Blue Chips and The Program, right. which were not good movies. People right. love those movies. Right. The program, which was a college football uh-huh. movie, James Caan, uh-huh. right. the quarterback in the movie is like 38 right. in real life. Right. Like, and nobody even looks like a football player, right. and that's on cable all the time. Yeah. But you're right. Like Varsity Blues is another one. Yeah. These high school, college things that's sitting there for somebody, yeah. and nobody can put it together. Yeah. I was wondering, like, my favorite show growing up, out of like, my favorite show still is The White Shadow, mm-hmm. which only lasted three seasons the third season was terrible so really it only had mm-hmm. i don't know 30 episodes mm-hmm. but i always thought that idea could work friday night lights yeah the guy the coach in the high school like yeah. trying to make people that idea should just exist every year yeah no it should it should it just seems like it's a natural place for drama like why is there not a a, a, a wire for instance about like college football right now it seems like there should be why is there not a wire why is there not a wire that's the better question. It's been 10 years. It has been 10 years. My friend Jonathan Abrams, who worked with me at Grantland, mm-hmm. um, is doing the wire oral history that I think has a chance wow. to be special. Wow. But you were a Baltimore guy. You don't really, I, I didn't really, did you write about the wire? I never. Not too much, but I, I Googled it. I looked for. Uh, I wrote a few things for the Atlantic, but by, also by the time I started writing for the Atlantic, they probably was kind of done. Four. They probably were at season four. That um, was the best season. That was okay, my so favorite I'm about, to, I'm about to cause a fight for everybody. Let's have a fight this. right now. We can end it on this. Season two is the best season of The Wire. Oh, no. By none. Oh, my God. It's not even a debate. Now I feel it's like. indisputably. Now I feel like Coates with John <laughs> Kelly walking in the ring. <laughs> season two is so not the best <laughs> season. the best season of The Wire. Let season me, four is the best season of TV ever. Season four is not even. Season four, the second best. Season four, it probably is the second best season. It goes two, four, one, three, five. See, everybody's down on five, and five has now become underrated. Because everybody gets mad maybe, about the newspaper. Yeah, the yeah, season yeah. finale, the series finale of The Wire, mm-hmm. I will stand by and ride to the death. The problem with five for me, and I, I like let's be let's stipulate that we're talking about The Wire. Yeah. So anybody that starts with the problem with, and you're talking yeah, about The Wire, it's a Mount like, Rushmore show. Right. Let's it's just on be the Mount clear Rushmore. About what we're saying. I just felt like they, I don't know what new was said at that point. Like, I felt like they knew, and you watch McNulty tumble back, but okay, I already know who McNulty is. Right. I don't need to see him go back. I know. I got it. Yeah. I got it. Like, I, I, I know. You know what I mean? And so I you thought it could have ended at four? Yeah, And then done like a movie for- Because like before he comes back, right? Yeah. That shit, I didn't think that was going to end well. I didn't think, I don't, like, my mind, McNulty does not come back and they ride off into the sunset. 
McNulty, I know who McNulty is. He wasn't going to be the mayor of Baltimore. No, that wasn't going to happen <laughs> at all. That wasn't going to happen. Maybe you're right. Maybe I got to. Let, let, let me make the case for two right off the Please. It's an, it's an unwinnable case, but I want to hear it. That's what you think. That's what everyone thinks, but everyone is wrong. Here's why. This is what people forget. Season one, you get drugs in Baltimore, and you get... It's not stereotypical, but the image of these black drug dealers is well within the, the imagination. It's done really, really well. That's not a shot at it. Yeah. It's done really, really, really well. Season two, he's like, oh, you thought this was some black shit? Fair. No, it's not. Yeah. It's not. I mean, I'm going it just, this way. And quietly, it just flips. This is, no, no, no. This is, this is Baltimore, man. And as a person that grew up in Baltimore... I knew they were poor white people in Baltimore. I knew they were working class white people who had these problems. You didn't, you know, see them in the same way. But to say, no, no, this ain't just black folks. This is the system at large. And it's eating at everything. Yeah. I just thought that, like, I mean, when's the last time you saw, like, white drug dealers, white urban <laughs> drug dealers? When is that? Is there a character like Ziggy on? Like, I've never seen nah. that. I've never seen anything like you, that. It needed season two. The series as a whole desperately needed season two to exist. It was a tremendous act of courage. So I just feel like from an ambition perspective, like to say, like, what was selling that like? Like, come on, you started with these cast of characters and now yeah. you're saying you're going to completely flip it and put them on the back burner and you're going to have white drug dealers? Yeah. And and shipping. And shipping. <laughs> right. Shipping. That's what this is going to be docks. about. Right. And docks. And the intricacies of the yeah, shipping Yeah, can I imagine business. the notes from HBO for that oh, one? Oh, my God. Hey, uh, <laughs> there's charismatic black characters. Can we bring those back? The only thing I think is that they were making so, like, the ratings were so low. But that gave them the shield to say, right, okay, they just go let for it. Happen. Go for it. Do, do whatever you want. It's not like we're banking on you anyway. Were you, uh, were you an Avon guy or a Marlowe guy? Oh, Avon by far. Okay. I'm sorry about Marlowe. I, I couldn't. I feel like they didn't. Um, and maybe this was an intentional creative choice. I, I didn't get enough from uh, Marlowe to get into him like I wanted to. I think it was an intentional choice. Uh, yeah, 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 right. Now I'm getting excited to just rewatch the entire thing. I still stand yeah. by this series finale, though. I'm telling you. I don't even remember it at this point. It's a, that's the thing. Nobody, everyone's just like, yeah, season five, right. and they throw it off because of the reporter, Scott Templeton. He's like God, staging the whatever. Oh, get him out of yeah. here. Yeah. That was tough. Maybe that we can digitally erase it. That guy made, what you call it, didn't he? He made that, uh, he yeah. made Spotlight. He's a real dude. Yeah. yeah he made Spotlight, which yeah. is a great film. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That's a great film. So I don't want to disrespect him in any sort of way. I mean, that, that's a real. I have hopes for, uh, people are talking to me in this Washington Post film about uh, Watergate. Oh, this they is the thing that's the, happening? All the President's Men, Spotlight, now this, this Spielberg did it, Tom Hanks. It's like basically about what wow. the Washington Post was like during Watergate. When's it coming out? December. Okay. Spotlight's I like the, ju the journalism movies are always like, if they do them right, those yeah, yeah, are always yeah, no, like they're, phenomenal. They're, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I still stand by Shattered Glass. You know, it's a lot. Well, I guess that's that's a magazine, but that's a... It's so funny. I just watched that movie three weeks ago. Yeah. It's like phenomenal. It's I really totally good. forgot. It's really good. It's really good. It, it's it, really it, it good. puts you on edge the whole time. Yeah, yeah. No, Hayden Christian's are. good. Yeah, he is. And it's like the weird thing about Shattered Glass is you almost don't want him to get caught. Like you're like like you like they put yeah. you in you know his scene. It's like oh my god, he's gonna get caught. It's like Heat where you start rooting for De Niro. Right, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> you start for any movie you root for the bankrupt. Yeah, yeah. Shattered Glass can never happen now because we have Google. People Google in three minutes. Uh, nah, like, Wait nah, a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah no. Nah, <laughs> Wait, what's this company? It couldn't. No, that's mid '90s, man. It's a different thing. All different right, Tanahasi Coates. This is fun. Thanks. This for is having different me, than most things you do, right? You said what? This different interview than most. I mean, it's you, man. So of course, All right, cool. I knew that. I just want to make sure. Be. No, no, I knew it was. You know, you're be. in the circuit. Yeah, Greg over here didn't he? My public, he didn't have to sell me on this, man. He just said Bill Simmons. <laughs> we I did said, get okay, talk yes. about '80s Nike posters, maybe next time. Next time, 
next time. You said your favorite was Iceman with, Ice the, with the Ice Cubes. Iceman. I got to find that one. Not Iceman one is the, is the one. Man. It's a good one. Yeah. It's the hardest one to find. Is it really? Yeah. So people, it's known to be a good oh, yeah. one. People love it. I may or may not have an autographed one in my house. Wow. Yeah. Gervin. The Iceman. That's great. Yeah. One That's of my great. favorites. Yeah. All right. Good luck with the book. All Thank right. you. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thanks again to Ta-Nehisi Coates. Thanks to SeatGeek. Use offer code BSMNBA for $20 off your first NBA purchase. Thanks to Home Depot. Remember, in 1924, Husky started making things for people who make things. They did it with common sense. That means adding function never frills. Making tools that stand the test of time. 93 years later, Husky Tools still making quality, crafted, durable tools, including hand tools, guaranteed for life. Learn more at huskytools.com. Husky Tools found only at the Home Depot. Thanks to stamps.com, you got to avoid the post office during the holidays. Why not buy and print official U.S. postage with your own computer and printer? Enjoy the stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments. Go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of that homepage, type in BS, that's stamps.com, enter BS, stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. We are back on Friday with a brand new episode of the BS Podcast. And also, I have a, we'll have a new column on TheRinger.com. I read about NBA this week, thinking about it. It's been, uh, it's been almost a month. I have some NBA thoughts building up. Until then, the BS Podcast. I wanna see them on a way so